Six. So Bible, pen, and paper. Okay? Again, keep your hands up. It'd be helpful before we start. Because you're going to do something with this paper now, and then we're going to actually do something with the end of the service. All right? We're going to apply the scripture and do it. As someone said to me at the first service, well, Pastor Pete, at least if I had to do it here, it gives me some hope that maybe I can do it when I go home. All right, let me begin by praying and we'll start it officially, all right? <clears throat> okay, let's pray, uh, pray together. <clears throat> and so, Lord, as you spoke in Isaiah 30, verse 15, and repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Lord, I pray this morning that you would teach us to sit, to wait, to be still before you, that you may work salvation on our behalf, and that you may set us free to love in the midst of great pressure. May we hear the word of the Lord that comes through Isaiah the prophet a couple thousand years ago as it speaks to us today here in New York, in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now, on this piece of paper, I want you to write down what your pressures or stresses are that you are carrying today. One or two pressures or stressors. You may have three or four. That's fine. And we're going to do something with it at the end. So let me, let me try to give you some, I'll, I'll fill it out a bit to help you think it through. Now, your stress and pressure that you're carrying today uh, may have to do with a relationship that you're in. Uh, it may have to do with raising a child or raising your children. Maybe it's caring for a parent. It may be a job pressure that you're under or a lack thereof of a job. Uh, it may be an addiction or a character flaw that you cannot seem to change inside of you. The stress or pressure you're carrying may have to do with a health issue, may have to do with some anxiety or pain inside of you. You just can't, it's like a thorn inside of your heart. If you're a student, it may be a paper, exams, your program, what's ahead of you. It may be a decision you have to make in the near future that has a time deadline to it. You know this decision has implications, and you're carrying the pressure of making that decision as it's approaching. It may be something financial. Right now, maybe your pressure. Uh, it may be you thinking about your future. You're thinking a year from now, or two years, or three years, or even five or ten years from now. And you're thinking, you're carrying pressure and anxiety about what's going to happen to me then, or what's going to be the flow of my, my life. Uh, it may be, has to do with your marriage, it may have to do with your singleness. It may be to be what's going to happen in this certain relationship you're in, or maybe a friendship. Okay, so they kind of fill it out. So write, write that down, one or two or three things on that paper. Now, of course, it may just simply be living life in New York. That's the pressure. Uh, you know, I went recently to the Department of Motor Vehicles in Queens, <laughs> and I was told I could not return these license plates by mail. I had to go in person. So I went there, and I wish I could sell the script of what I'm going to tell you and the people I encountered, because I think I could be a multimillionaire in Hollywood. Uh, some of you know Whitestone parking lot, if you go there for DMV, you have to pay to park. I got to pay to park to pay. So, but I, I said, all right, I'll pay. But I couldn't get in the parking lot because it was so packed. And the line went around the block to get in. So I said, all right, can't park in the parking lot. So uh, around that place, there are some other lots, like a movie theaters near there and some stores. And so I 
I actually went over there, but then I noticed in the corner of my eye, security in their little cars with their lights. And then I noticed the tow truck towing somebody out. And I said, bad idea. <laughs> so of course, I went to another lot, another lot, and I realized this isn't going to work. OK, security everywhere. Then I go to the streets around that area. And there's a lot of factories around there, that area of Whitestone College Point. And so you know, these are wide streets, and I'm, I'm thinking, the streets are empty. I mean, there's nobody on the street. There's plenty of parking, but there's signs saying, do not park here, okay, <laughs> under threat of removal. So, I mean, it's not just one street. It's all the streets. Do not park. And I'm saying, okay, I can't park here on the street. I can't park in the lot. I can't get in the DMV lot and even pay. So I'm, I'm like betwixt, all right? So I'm all right. I know there's a Home Depot about a half mile away. So I thought I'll go to Home Depot. And they got a big lot. No one will notice me. So I go in there, you know, and I squeeze in between some cars in the corner of a lot. I said, no one's going to notice I'm here. And of course, I do see security way back. And I'm thinking, no, he won't know. I'm not going into Home Depot. I'm feeling guilty, you know. I'm like, oh, angst, you know. Then I got to walk the half mile to Home Depot. Just so you understand, an hour has passed since I have arrived. I haven't even gotten in DMV yet. So I get inside, and then there's a line. If you know Department of Motor Vehicles, there's a line for information that you have to get on this line to get a ticket to wait online. <laughs> so that line is super long, and I have to wait an hour on that line for the person to tell me you can wait online. So I get to the end of the line, and the lady's like, she's stressed. And she goes, what do you want? And I'm like, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I I've been here now two hours. I'm just trying to get online. She th I felt like I was a burglar. Like, what did I do wrong? Like, I don't know. I just, I just want my ticket. Here's my plate, ticket, plate, ticket. She just gives me a ticket. And I, then I got to get online. There's no seats. So packed. You could barely stand up. And a couple of hours later, I left the end. I mean, it took me two minutes handing my plate. And that was it. I, I four hours. So anyway, stress. You get that stress. Okay, so living in New York can be a bit stressful. So that may be your, your, your thing. So you got your paper? You got your thing written down? All right, you got that? Because then we're going to go. Because our passage today is about living under tremendous pressure and stress. And the question is, how do I live for God, with God, in a place of rest and joy, in the love of Christ, that, that I'm actually uh, in a place of peace? I'm in a place of, of walking with God in the midst of all this. Because life is full of stress. And uh, this passage is really a, an intense passage. And so I'm going to just read, I want to read two verses, and we're going to read sections of it along the way. Let me explain it, the situation, what's going on here. I'm on chapter 36, verses 1 and 2. And the context is King Hezekiah is king of Israel, or Judah at that time. And um, it's his 14th year. And the Assyrians are the world superpower at that time. And uh, it actually looks something like this. This is the kind of a very basic map, but you get the drift. So here's Assyria, and they are the superpower of the world, and they are on the move. And they are basically conquering nation after nation after nation after nation. And now they've conquered basically all of the northern, all, basically all the northern kingdom of Israel. And now they're coming to Jerusalem. And nobody has been able to stop them. And they have just, they have taken, you'll see, it says fortified cities. I mean, these are military cities. They had, they had you know, walls around them. And they, they have annihilated every city so far. Uh, and now they're at the gates of Jerusalem. And that, actually, they're in a city called Lachish, which is actually we consider like our Pentagon. They have conquered the biggest military installation that they've got is the city right outside Jerusalem, and they've crushed that. And so now they send some messengers to Jerusalem to basically surrender. Okay, so that's the scene. You see Jerusalem? Little Jerusalem. Surrounded here. And here's the biggest area coming down. All right. 
Verse 1 and 2. In the 14th year, chapter 36, of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah, 46 of them, and captured them. Now understand, captured, pillage, rape, kill, annihilate, okay? These are not nice people. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army. The army had between 500,000 and a million men, they say, scholars. From Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. All right, so that, that, that's where we are right here. So, so um, the pressure at this point against Jerusalem, it's, it's relentless. It, it is inescapable. And, and so now Sennacherib is going to send his senior staff to Jerusalem and say, listen, I don't want to have to you know, lay siege to this city and expend time, energy, and money. Just surrender. And so now we're going to pick up his speech in verse uh, 4 to 9. And this is the speech that his messenger gives in the hearing of all the people on the wall. Verse 6. The field commander, verse 4, I'm sorry. The field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have counsel and might for war, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look, I know who you are depending, that you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How then can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this land without the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Now, there's six times you'll notice the word confidence. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? What are you depending on? What are you depending on? Six times, same word. It's the word for trust. On what are you basing this trust of yours? And, and so understand, for them to trust God at this moment within those walls of Jerusalem, for Hezekiah, who's the king, was very, very difficult. And it's no more difficult, it's no, it's no less easy for us today to have trust and confidence and dependence on God as it was for them. 3,000 years ago. Because, understand, for them to trust God, it seemed like nonsense. I mean, this, this is what the king of Assyria is saying. What, what are you trusting in God for? Because you, you don't have any more military left. We've just annihilated everybody. You don't have the resources. You don't have cavalry. You don't have horses. In fact, and it, which, was, which was the military technology of this. It's like having nukes, all right, and, and drones and, and, and F-16 fighter planes. You don't have it, they say to them. And, and he said, even if I gave you 2,000 horses, you don't have the, the, the horsemen to ride the horses. And you're depending on Egypt. They're so far away, they've been crushed. And uh, this little, little Palestinian country now in Jerusalem, they just don't stand a chance. And uh, I love his verse 10 where he says, you know, by the way, the Lord himself told me to march against you and destroy you. It's like, you know, when things are rough and then someone comes to you and says, you know what? The Lord helps those who helps themselves. And you're like, yeah, that's a, where does the Bible say that? Anyway, where, where is that verse, you know? It's not in the Bible, by the way. But, you know, it's like, no, God's doing this to you. You know, he's trying to wreck your life. You know, yeah, it seems like it, you know. And, and so he, he puts God, he mixes God in it. 
which really makes it confusing, you know, for the people. And then actually later in verse 12, he says, oh yeah, by the way, the king of Assyria says, he says, he says you know, surrender to me. Um, he calls him, just, if, you, if you surrender to me, I'll give you vineyards and, 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 and uh, farms and land, and you won't get crushed and raped and pillaged and carried away as slaves. Basically, I'll bless you. And, I mean, the temptation to surrender at this point is enormous. Think of yourself, if, you're, if you've got children or aging parents, and you're responsible for folks, and, and, and you, you realize if God doesn't come through, you're sunk. And that's the situation here. Do I trust God, which the risks are high, or, or apparently risks are high, or do I just surrender? At least I take, at least it's going to work out basically, apparently, okay. And, um, and then he says, by the way, if you don't do this, the king of Assyria says, you're going to eat your own excrement and drink your own urine. Well, that's not very appealing. And then he says, and actually it happens, I'm not going to read the whole section to you, but they go back and forth twice. And the king of Assyria says, do not believe Hezekiah. Do not trust in God so recklessly. You will be destroyed. Now, can you try to imagine yourself listening to this? As you look at your pressures on that paper, what would you do? And uh, so the people are quite frightened. And so Hezekiah at this point, you know, is... Is, is Assyria offers peace, and they offer plenty. Now, when I'm anxious, and when you're anxious, think of a scale of 1 to 10. Once you get past on a scale of 1 to 10, say you're anxious like up to a 7, once you hit 8 or 9, you're no longer rational. You just start making impulsive decisions and doing things that really make no sense. Uh, and that's probably, if I was on the wall, I'd say, just give them what they want. Let's just get out of this situation. Uh, because the temptation is to think that God is not going to come through. God has not come through up to now. Our backs are up against the wall, and these negative voices are screaming at them. And so here Hezekiah steps up. And Hezekiah actually models for us what it means to have rest under pressure. We're going to read it in a moment. He models for us. And, and, and again, we're going to read how in, in chapter 37, verses 14 to 20. We live in a world, I don't care whether you're retired or whether you're in junior high, everybody's feeling squeezed and overloaded and under pressure. And we always think, if I just can change my circumstances, I will not feel this anymore. That is an illusion. It's the world in which we live in. Everything's quick, everything's instant, and there's not enough hours in the day to even think things through. Anne Schaaf a, was, a, was a Harvard professor, and she wrote a book. It was called When Society Becomes an Addict. And her argument was that we are hooked as a society on process addictions. What she meant by that was we, we're, 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 so, we're doing so many things, whether it's you know, watching TV or accumulating money or working or our to-do lists or our worries or raising our kids, that we avoid, we get so busy and active that we want to avoid inner pain and growth. We want to get busy so that we, don't, we can stay unaware of what's going on inside of us to keep us from being reflective. And she says we live in a culture which is in a process addiction. It was a great, very interesting point. Because when you're under pressure, it's very difficult to be aware of God and remember him. Incredibly different to rest, be centered, be joyful, be remaining in his love, out of which his love flows out of you, when there's anxiety all around you. Uh, but Hezekiah does it. Now listen, at New Life, we are committed, as we have a membership course later today, to a rule of life. Which means the whole goal of the rule really is to get a rhythm. To not be moving 24-7, but we get a rhythm in our lives so that you and I have space. 
space to receive the love of God out of which we can give the love of God. But if I don't have space to be receiving the love of God, I have nothing to give out. And the en enemy knows that. And that, that's the whole purpose of offices we talk, and Sabbath keeping and, and disciplines and being here like we are today. But that's the whole goal of, of what we're trying to do as a church. Is say, wait a second, we want to be a people who actually rest in the midst of enormous pressure. And so Hezekiah does it. And he's actually an amazing figure here. And uh, because he brings it to God and he takes his sheet and he's got a letter from Sennacherib. Sennacherib, in the second time around, King of Assyria gives him a letter basically saying everything we talked about earlier. I'm going to crush you. I'm going to destroy you. You're going to eat your excrement. And uh, he defies God. And, and what Hezekiah does here, he comes to God. And we're going to break it down what he does here. And then we're going to actually do it. So let's read, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 37. This is what Hezekiah does. Hezekiah, verse, 30, verse 14, receives the letter from the messengers. And he reads it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord, and he spread it out before the Lord. Love that. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these people and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us. And let the word deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. All right, so here's what we're going to do. He does four things, and I'm going to list them here, write them down somewhere.